Well, thank you, team. You may be seated, folks. Hello again. For those of you who missed the thrilling announcements, ask your neighbor, they'll tell you. Thank you for joining us again on site. Thank you for joining us again online as we head into week two of our series, Follow. Now, before I get into week two, I hope everybody was able to join us for week one because basically we've designed this series, like, like we do oftentimes, we designed the series to be one message, but in multiple installments. So in order to understand everything, you kind of have to hear all of them. And you'll get the most out of every message if you're able to listen to all the installments. So you can go online and always pick those up, hammockstreetchurch.com, or you could even go to our YouTube channel, Hammock Street Church, you'll find it there. Anyway, just as a quick recap, last week we learned a few interesting things about Jesus, about following Jesus. The first thing we learned is that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it is a prerequisite that you recognize that you're a sinner before you follow Jesus. Oh, and by the way, the only people that Jesus invited to follow him were sinners. So we are in very good company with very bad people, right? Because Jesus didn't just invite sinners, he invited the worst of the worst sinners. And it actually turned out that the better a person thought they were, the less they were able to even understand what Jesus was doing. So if you were a self-righteous person, if you were a religious person, then you had no clue what Jesus was all about. Because he kept inviting the most unlikely people to follow him. People who weren't like Jesus really liked Jesus. And also people who were like Jesus, the religious people, did not like Jesus. So go figure that. Anyway, we saw secondly how being a non-believer doesn't necessarily disqualify you from being able to follow Jesus. Because in the first century... Nobody who followed Jesus initially thought that he was God the Son. Nobody thought that. And in that way, they were all unbelievers. All the evidence we see indicates that they just thought Jesus was a good man, that he was a learned teacher. They thought he said some exciting and interesting things, so they followed him. Oh, and also he fed people and, and he healed people. And who wouldn't follow a guy who fed people out of nothing and healed people? By the way, if you're with us today, and I've just described you, if you're leaning in Jesus's direction, but you haven't yet bought into the whole God, the Son, Messiah thing, you're free to start following Jesus right now. Even if you haven't made that decision yet, you, you could actually start by reading the New Testament. You, you know, you can read the New Testament even if you don't think it was inspired by God. And you can even read the New Testament even if you don't think it's true. Does that blow your mind? Because being inspired by God or being true is not a prerequisite for your reading anything else, is it? Like you read books and you read the newspaper and you read blogs online and you, you don't know that they're inspired by God or true. You just read them, right? Right? So you can start following without believing, just like all of the early believers or early followers of Jesus did. Third, we discovered last week that Jesus' invitation to follow was not a religious invitation, the way we typically think of a religious invitation. Because most, 
if, if not all other religions, they first invite you to change something about yourself. They invite you to become just like them, and only then are you permitted to follow. That's probably why some of you had, or why some of you still have, an issue with another church experience. Because you didn't feel like you were a church person. And you knew that you weren't good enough to be a church person, so you kind of just tapped out. And you thought, I don't behave like a church person, so I shouldn't even try to be a church person. But that's a message that wasn't taught to you by Jesus. That's a message that was taught to you by religion. But Jesus had a different message. Jesus said, join us, and then you will change. Get close to me, Jesus said. Follow me, Jesus said. Listen to me. Learn from me. And over time, you'll look in the mirror, and you'll go, I don't even recognize myself anymore, but in a good way. That change results from following Jesus and experiencing God's kindness. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in his letter to the believers in Rome when he said, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So building upon that, the question we're going to ask for the next few weeks is this. Am I following Jesus? That's what we want to know. Am I, are you actually following Jesus with your life? See, Our big question is not what you might think it is in a church world. How far along have I come in my faith? Or or how often am I going to church now? How's my attendance? Or, Or how many verses did I read this week? Or am I ahead of everybody else? Or am I behind everybody else? That's not our question. Our big question is, am I following Jesus? And by the way, do not make the mistake of confusing that question with the logical question that seems to come after it, well, have I arrived? Am I there yet? Because the answer to that question, am I there yet? Have I arrived at the perfect place of following Jesus? The answer to that question will always be no. No, you haven't and you won't. You'll never get there on this side of heaven. Following Jesus is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. Every single follower of Jesus needs to ask him or herself every single day, am I? following Jesus. Okay, so today we're going to talk about another narrative in the life of Jesus that takes us deeper into this whole concept of following. And and the really cool thing about this story that you're going to see is the way that every single one of us can find ourselves in this story. Every element of what it means to follow Jesus is contained in the story we're going to go over today. Do I have your attention? All right, let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for gathering us as your community, as your ecclesia, as your church. God, as we dig into the word this morning, we would ask that you would teach us something we didn't know, that you would use it to open our hearts, open our minds, and become more understanding of who you are and what it means to follow you. God, we thank you for this time. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we touched upon last week, there are four accounts in, of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. We refer to those four accounts as, you've heard this before, the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting because really when you think about it, the mere fact that there exist Four separate, well-preserved, well-documented views of Jesus' life is pretty unique. 
we have nowhere near as much information about any other ancient figure as we do about Jesus. We have a lot of evidence pointing to the truth, the veracity of Jesus and the things that he taught. So we're going to start off by remembering that regarding the authors of these books, every one of the authors of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had a different approach and a different audience to whom they were speaking. And we need to understand also that each one of them had a different way of knowing about Jesus. Matthew, for example, whom we talked about last week, Matthew was an eyewitness. He was there. He saw the whole thing. Mark, on the other hand, was not an eyewitness, but he spent time with Peter, who was an eyewitness, and Mark gives us Peter's account of what happened. Now, Luke, also not an eyewitness, Luke was a physician. He was skilled in the scientific method, so he went out and conducted a systematic interview process, investigation, if you will, of all of the events of what took place with Jesus. And that's how he was able to write his gospel. And finally, John. John was an eyewitness as well. He was the one whom Jesus loved. And by having all of these people writing what they wrote, we now have four unique but equally accurate accounts of Jesus's life. So today's story we're going to be looking at was told in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So it was told by Matthew and Luke. So I want to start off with the Matthew version. I want to give you a little bit more background about Matthew, which helps you understand today's verses. And we're going to add on to what we talked about when we talked about Matthew last week. Now, Matthew was a Jew. He was Jewish. His, his birth name, his Jewish name was Levi. He was later referred to as Metisyahu, which is also Hebrew for Matthew, later referred to as Matthew, uh, as his Greek name. Just We've talked about this before. Remember that in those days, since everybody was traveling between cultures, they had different ways of identifying themselves in each culture. It's kind of like if you're, if you're born in, in South America and your parents named you Juan, maybe in America they call you John. Like it's something kind of like that. So Matthew was Jewish, and therefore he was writing to a mostly Jewish audience. And as a result, Matthew's version of this story gives us a very brief synopsis of the event that would leave most of us sitting out here wanting when it comes to understanding what it means to follow Jesus. And here's why. The Jews already had a deep faith in God. So to teach the Jews a story about what God's going to do, you don't need to do a lot of extra instruction to talk about what God is capable of, to understand what Matthew's saying. In other words, the Jews are very used to dealing with God and dealing with what he's capable of and dealing with his miracles. So Matthew didn't need to explain to his Jewish audience what God's capable of. So we're going to read Matthew's account first, and I want to show you how that knowledge and that understanding of his audience played out, and then we're going to read Luke's account where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. All right, you got that? All right, here we go. Here's Matthew's account. It comes from Matthew chapter 4. You're welcome to turn to it in your own Bible or just follow along on the screen and trust that I have reproduced it accurately. All right. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. All right, two brothers next to the Sea of Galilee. What were these brothers doing? They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. All right, sum this up. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two fishermen doing what fishermen do, fishing. So Jesus walked up to them, and here's what he said. Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets 
and followed him. That's it. That's what it says. So if we're to read that and take into account our modern understandings and our modern sensibilities and our modern experiences, we look at this and we go, huh? Like we find ourselves puzzled. Like that's not a thing that people would do in our experience, is it? Just walk away? Well, that wasn't all, because Matthew then continued. We go to verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father. They left their father, and they followed Jesus, and the story ends right there. And if we're being candid... We don't read these stories in first blush and go, wow, those people were so spiritual. Instead, we kind of read the story and go, huh? Who does that? Seems kind of reckless to me. I mean, in the story we just read from Matthew, every one of those four men just literally walked away from all of their responsibilities just because some stranger walked up and told them to do so. And before anyone starts to think, wait a minute, are you saying, Russell, that didn't happen like that? Or or are you saying that it was a bad thing that they walked away, that they dropped everything to follow Jesus? Let me set the record straight. No, I am not saying that at all. Let me keep going and you'll see what I mean. Matthew's version tells the true story, but it doesn't tell the whole story. For the whole story, you need to read Luke's version. See, Luke was writing to a Gentile audience, to a non-Jewish audience, to an audience similar to nearly everybody in this building and nearly everybody listening to us online. Luke was writing to a people who did not have a centuries-long history of having a huge faith in the God who performs miracles. Luke was writing to a people who needed some more information before they were willing to just walk away from their families and their responsibilities. So Luke gives us more detail. Now, if you'll remember, and you can go back and check this after if you want, Luke begins his gospel by saying that he knows what he knows because he thoroughly researched the events and that he was providing an orderly account of everything that happened. So Luke actually wrote this for the purpose of explaining to Gentiles, here's exactly what went down. All right. The story takes place in Israel. This is a map of Israel. You don't need to see everything. I just want you to note a few things. At the top of the map, there is a blue, tiny little circle, okay? That's the Sea of Galilee. It's up in the north part of Israel. Then there's a skinny blue line connecting the Sea of Galilee, that's the Jordan River, to the Dead Sea. That sits at the bottom, the big kind of uh, oblong-shaped deal. That's the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's why they call it dead. It has too much salt, so nothing can live in it. So this is where Jesus' entire ministry took place. Jesus never left this area other than when he was a kid. He went to Egypt, but he was little, and you don't remember that. But I want you to keep this geography in mind as we look at Luke's detailed version of what took place. So here's that same story, but from Luke. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, the Lake of Gennesaret is just another way of saying the Sea of Galilee, He's standing by the Sea of Galilee and the people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. 
So here I want you to notice the first thing right away. Jesus wasn't just walking by. He was standing next to the Sea of Galilee preaching. Okay? That's what he was doing. And this highlights an important fact. Following Jesus always begins with listening. Following Jesus always begins with receiving information. Following Jesus does not begin with leaving your world and leaving your life and just following. It doesn't happen that way. And this is important. Because if you've been told that to be a Christian, you are not allowed to ask questions. If you've been told that to be a Christian, you just need to blindly believe. If you were told that, you have been lied to. That is not the case. Real faith and real Christianity are built on information, teaching, listening, and learning, not blind faith. There's a difference. Jesus always built people's faith up first. In fact, Jesus introduced the concept of faith and the concept of a heavenly father around information, teaching, listening, and learning. Okay, so Jesus was standing at the edge of the water and he's teaching the crowd of people and, verse two, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. All right, here's a little detail about what was going on. Fishermen fished in that region at night. If you fish, you probably fish at night a lot. Why? Well, here's what would happen. First, they'd cast their nets out onto the water. They were net fishermen, not line fishermen. They cast their nets out onto the surface of the water, and they waited for the fish to swim into the nets, and then they would pull the nets in. Then after they pulled the nets in, what would they do? They would empty the fish out that they'd caught. And when they were done fishing, they would take those nets and they would hang them on wooden posts on the shore. And on, while they were on the wooden post, then they would clean the nets out and they'd let them dry. And they'd go through the nets and they'd remove anything else that was caught in the net other than the fish they were looking for. They'd remove the seaweed and the crabs and the soda cans and the styrofoam cups and things like that, you know? And then they'd roll those nets up and then they would store them so they're ready to go fishing the next evening. So this scene took place while the fishermen were listening to Jesus preaching, but also taking care of their fishing equipment after they were done fishing for the evening. So we continue, verse 3. Jesus then gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Peter. By the way, the parentheses I just put in so it makes it a little bit clear, more clear. The scripture says Simon, but Simon Peter, so I just want to keep it consistent. That's why I did that. So they asked, uh, Jesus asked Peter to put out a little bit from the shore. So Jesus gets into one of Peter's, gets into Peter's boat and he says, hey, Peter, push me out a little bit. Then Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. All right, what happened? Well, Jesus sees that the boats are just sitting there, so he gets into an empty boat, which is Peter's boat, and he asks Peter to just push him out a little bit into the water. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus walks up to Peter, who was a stranger to him at the time, and he asks Peter, the fisherman, if he could use his boat for a minute. Hey, sir, sorry for the inconvenience, but can I borrow your boat for a minute? Now, we don't know how Peter reacted. We don't know if Peter just let Jesus have the boat, we don't know if Peter tied a rope to the boat with Jesus in it, just kind of pushed it out while Jesus sat there. We don't know if he got into the boat with Jesus and kind of went out there with him. But what we do know is that Peter was working on getting his nets ready to be stored for the day when Jesus went into the boat and moved away from the shore. So that's what happened. Now, once Jesus was a little bit out from the shore, once he was out there in the boat, he starts talking to the crowd. 
Because as Paul would later write in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. So the crowd needs to hear Jesus so that they can develop a faith, all right? Following begins with listening. Faith is built around content, information, and getting your questions answered every time. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John had been listening to Jesus, okay? Here's what happens. He walks up. Hey, listen, I know you're cleaning up and everything. Can I sit in your boat for a minute? Would you push me out so I can keep teaching? Okay, we'll do that. Verse four comes along. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Peter, what did he say to Peter? Now, this point in the interaction, if we stop here, Jesus could have said anything to Peter. We don't know what he could have said. He could have asked Peter to leave everything after having heard what Jesus taught from the boat, but he didn't do that. Here's what Jesus did do. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus asked Peter to do something that Peter was literally a professional at doing. Okay? Jesus asked Peter to go fishing And Jesus asked Peter to do it in a way that Peter wasn't accustomed to doing it. Why is that important? Well, first thing we just talked about is they just finished fishing. They'd already begun the task of cleaning and sorting their nets and fishing gear for the day. Anybody have a boat? You know, when you go out on a boat and you bring it in, there's this whole procedure that you need to do. You got to clean it out. You got to run water through the engine. You got to hose off all the salt water, all this stuff. Like, it's a process. They were already finished with their process of cleaning up for the day. It was a labor intensive, time consuming procedure. And And Jesus comes up to Peter and goes, Hey, Pete, do me a favor. Go back to what you were just finished doing. And you were putting away. Go back to that, and I want you to go back out. Now, you have to wonder, was Jesus paying any attention at all to what they were doing? Like, did did Jesus realize, guys, they're cleaning up already. Like, that was not the right time to say go back out. But he did it anyway. So Peter could react a bunch of different ways, but Peter was very respectful. See, Peter was used to rabbis. Peter was a Jew. He was used to rabbis going around teaching. He recognized that Jesus was a rabbi, was a teacher. So Peter very respectfully answers, master. He calls Jesus master. By the way, this is not, at this time, a recognition of who Jesus is, of Jesus' status as God the Son. This is just a term of respect. It's like, sir, sir, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Jesus, we've been fishing all night long. We didn't catch any fish. We know we're not going to catch any fish tonight. And we're certainly not going to catch them by doing anything you tell us to do. Why not? Because this is interesting. On the Sea of Galilee, they fished at night. Now, the Sea of Galilee is technically a lake, but it's better thought of really as a sea. And the reason is because it is large. The Sea of Galilee is is as large as the entire city of Washington, D.C. It's a big, it's a big lake, and it is very deep. It's over 140 feet deep. So they fished at night with their nets on the surface because the fish came up to the top to the surface at night when it was cooler. 
So that's why they fished at night, because the fish would be on the surface because it was cooler. And when the sun comes up in a very desert region, the water heats up quickly and the fish go deeper down. So they fished at night and here they were, they'd already fished at night. And they'd already fished at the time they were supposed to fish. And they had not caught a thing. So why would they ever think fishing any other way would result in catching fish because they did it the right way and they caught nothing. So they dried and cleaned their nets. They were about to go home empty-handed. They were quite dejected, but they did it anyway. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's go fishing when you're not supposed to go fishing. In other words, Jesus says to Peter, I want you to do something that you've done a thousand times, but I want you to do it my way. I'm not asking you to leave your family. I'm not asking you to leave your family business. I'm just asking you to do something one time differently than you've ever done it before. Now, we don't know what Peter was thinking when he heard this. He could have been thinking, this rabbi doesn't have any clue about fishing. He could have been thinking, if this crowd sees me fishing in the middle of the day, they're going to think I am nuts. So what's the point? The point was that, Peter's willingness to trust Jesus was at stake, which makes this next part really fantastic. Look at this. Master, we've worked all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. Not because I think it's going to work out. Not because I think it's going to help my reputation. Not because I think I'll catch anything this time. Not because I think this is a good use of my time. But because I listened. And then I loaned you my boat. And I've heard just enough from you to cause me to let my nets down. Now imagine what hangs in the balance at this moment. What hangs in the balance of Peter's decision to take Jesus fishing. Do you realize the whole reason we know who Peter is is because in that moment, Peter decided to trust Jesus with this one opportunity to do something he'd done a thousand times, but to do it this time in a different way. Now, for some of us here today, that's exactly where you are right now. There's this internal nudge that you're feeling, your conscience, let's call it, that thing through which God is coaxing you. And like Peter... You have no idea what hangs in the balance if you decide to obey. Now imagine, imagine if Jesus took Peter aside for a second and whispered in his ear, seriously, take me fishing, and this is what's going to happen. And then, and then Jesus shows Peter Rome, right? This is Jesus convincing Peter, you need to take me fishing. Just look at this. You're going to be remembered as Saint Peter. They're going to name cities after you in Florida and in Russia, That's St. Petersburg, in case you didn't catch that, right? And you're going to be buried there. He's showing them Rome there. And they're going to build this huge building on top of where you're buried. And Peter, take a look inside that huge building. Have you ever seen anything like that? They're going to call it St. Peter's Basilica. And it's going to take them 118 years to build this sucker. It took us about four years to build this building. 118 years, and it's going to be named for you, Peter. So will you take me fishing? Now, if Jesus told Peter that, do you think he would have hesitated at all? Of course not. But Peter wasn't all that different from you and me. Peter didn't know. 
Peter had no idea what hung in the balance of a single decision to do something he'd done a thousand times before, but to do it this time in a different way, in a way that he'd never done it before. But Jesus said, will you do it? Will you do it? And we read in the next verse, they did it. When they had done so. Done so. Now, this is important. They didn't do it when they believed so. They didn't do it when they thought so. They didn't do it when they intended so. They didn't do it when they prayed about it. They, it happened when they done so. Because doing is the thing that makes the difference. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Okay, now we have two wooden boats beginning to sink under the weight of the catch that wasn't supposed to happen. And when Peter saw this, what do you think he did? Verse 8, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. Not master this time, Lord. I am a sinful man, is what Peter said to Jesus in that moment. For the very first time, Peter recognized who Jesus was. This was the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus, which means that Peter had been face-to-face with Jesus, with the Savior of the world, for however long that was. It could have been hours. But it wasn't until he took this practical step of faith that all of the sudden his eyes were open, his heart was open, and he experienced something that he never imagined experiencing. He realized that he was in the presence of the Lord. All right, we continue. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Remember, they just went out fishing in a way that they'd never fished. They didn't think they were going to catch anything, and it sunk two boats they caught so much. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Peter's partners. And Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. Why did he say that? Because they were terrified. What the heck is going on here? Oh my gosh. But he said, from now on, you will fish for people. Think about it. Jesus had something for Peter that he did not reveal until after Peter took a step in faith. The smallest step he could have taken but he took a step nonetheless. And once Peter took that small step, Jesus revealed to Peter his identity and he revealed to Peter his plans for Peter's life. From now on, you're gonna fish for people. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. A lot more detail in that one, right? A lot more of the background, a lot more of the stories there. They left everything and followed Jesus, but not just because he called them and said, leave everything and follow me. They left everything and followed Jesus because they first listened. Then they inconvenienced themselves. Then they took a single little step that allowed God's faithfulness to enter into their lives and interact with their consciences and interact with their their abilities and interact with their obedience. And then they were ready to leave everything and follow him. See, in this story, we find four phases of follow. And I think you're going to find that at least one of these four phases will resonate with you, will resonate deeply within you. So we're going to have a look at those four phases briefly. First phase is this, sit and listen. Some of you are at the sit and listen phase of your faith. 
the fact that you're here, the fact that you're watching, means that you've, you've taken a step. You've taken a step to follow Jesus. Why? Because following Jesus always begins with information, and you are in the information-gathering stage. You're, you're listening. Christianity is an informed faith. It's not a blind faith. And one of the best things you can do, in fact, the thing you need to do first to follow Jesus it's just to come back next week or to log on next week and maybe read that Christian book somebody gave you to read just to get more information, just to figure out, well, do I have any questions about this? That's how following Jesus always begins. Everybody who followed Jesus in the first century did so after doing that, after gathering at least some information. And for some of you, a big, bold step would be to continue to put yourself in some kind of environment where you're getting this information to inform your future decisions. So sitting and listening is the first step. Second, loan Jesus your boat. Other, of you, other people here are, are at the boat loaning stage. Like when Jesus asked Peter if he could borrow his boat. Maybe, maybe you're ready for a little bit of a routine change. Nothing radical, just a little bit of a change, a minor disruption to your schedule. One small dis disruption that you might want to check out, maybe, maybe you want to join a starting point group. What is a starting point group? Starting point is a study developed by our main church partner, the founder of the Irresistible Church Network, North Point Community Church in Atlanta. And a starting point group is a setting in which your questions about God can turn into a conversation about God, a conversation about faith. In a starting point group, you can discuss your doubts, you can discuss the topics of, of your faith, you can discuss death, you can discuss why bad things happen to good people, you can discuss it all free from pressure, free from judgment. See, we, we actually did Starting Point as a series. I hope some of you remember. We did it uh, together. And if you want to go listen to those, go back online, look at the uh, sermons from January 23rd to March 13th. Those were all the Starting Point sermons. If you missed them, you can listen to them. If you want to listen to them, you can listen to them again. If you're interested in listening to this series with other people, let me know. We'll get you plugged in to other people at Hammock Street, and you can go through this together. We'll even give you questions to ask. But that is a small disruption to your schedule, to your routine, that maybe will be an opportunity to get to know Jesus better. Another small disruption, another way to loan Jesus the boat, might be to read the New Testament. We talked about that. Read your Bible. Just read it. it, it honestly, it's never been easier to read the Bible than it is now. When I was first introduced to Jesus, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, if I wanted to read about him in a Bible... I had to work at it. I had to do a fair bit of work. I had to figure out which Bible I was supposed to get. And then I had to figure out where you buy a Bible. Because you couldn't just go online and buy Bibles at that time. You couldn't just ask for Bibles. I had to find a, something called a Christian bookstore. I didn't know there was a such thing as a Christian bookstore. I'd never seen one. At least not that I noticed. I didn't know Christian bookstores were a thing. And even when I found one, I wasn't all that comfortable going inside a Christian bookstore. Weird people go inside Christian bookstores. And I remember standing in front of the family Christian bookstore on Federal Highway and working up the whatever I needed to walk inside. I didn't know which Bible to buy. I didn't know where to go. I hadn't a clue. It was so lost. But nowadays, you just need to take out your smartphone and type Bible, and you'll pull up a Bible. I mean, it's pretty easy. You can do it on your smartphone. You can do it on your computer at home or at work. No travel, no cost, no awkwardness. Pretty easy. You can, you can even find an audio Bible now. You can actually find a Bible for free that someone will read to you. 
Makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? It's a minor inconvenience. And it's not really going to cost you anything. So maybe it's time to do so. Maybe it's time for you to read the New Testament. There's nothing stopping you. The final small disruption, loan the boat activity that might be useful for you is, why don't you start praying? Praying's easy. Just ask God. Just talk to God in your head. Say it out loud if you want. Talk to God. Show, me, show yourself to me. Doesn't require any training. Doesn't require any skill. Doesn't require you to take a public stand on anything or make any dramatic announcements. I am now talking to God. No, you don't need to do that. Don't post it on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok about it. You don't need to do any of that. Just need to talk to God in a quiet moment in your day. Anybody can do that. These are ways to loan Jesus your boat. All right, moving on. Third, take Jesus fishing. Some of you are ready to take Jesus fishing. This is where things get interesting. God wants you to do something you've done a thousand times in a different way than you've ever done it before. Most of the time, it'll have something to do with either your relationships or your job or maybe your money. And you'll know what it is because you've been coming to Hammock Street for a while and you've been listening and you've gotten some of your questions answered and you've started to notice that every once in a while when you're praying or when your mind is just tuned out, there's something that stirs in you. It occurs to you and you go, I need to do more. I need to start doing something different. I need to stop doing something that I'm doing. I need to change the way that I've been doing something. You're not going to hear an audible voice stop you on the street. Joe. Yes, Lord. Not going to happen that way. But you'll know. It'll be like your brain just homes in on something, a thing that's never been a thing for you. Something that you've never really paid much attention to, maybe. But now you can't stop thinking about it. And you'll start to feel like there's a change you need to make. Not a massive change. Not a massive blow up everything in your life change. But a little change. Just one little thing. Change one little thing that you've been doing differently. That feels as if God is leading you to do it, even though you don't know why. And you don't have a clue what that change will mean for your life. But you'll feel confident that there may be something to this. And this decision to change a relationship or to conduct business differently or to handle relationships differently or to be more generous, this is at the core of what God wants you to do with your life. And it's in those take me fishing moments that Jesus says to you, follow me. I'm not asking you to change who you are. I just want to show up in your life. Because when your budding faith intersects with my faithfulness, you're going to think, God, I knew it. I knew that you were banging on my heart. You spoke to me and you care about me. God, I knew it and now I've confirmed it. And as a result, your life will be different because of what you have done. Because of what your heavenly father has invited you to do. Maybe it's time to take Jesus fishing. And fourth, the next step is to leave your nets. And some of you are right there. You've obeyed God and God just has wowed you so far. And then you turned another area of your life over to God and he did it again. And after that, you gave your finances to God and then you gave your relationships to God and you were blessed beyond your wildest dreams. And now you know, you just know that you know and you know that it's time. This is it. This is time to go all in. It's time to surrender everything to God. It's time to follow God with your whole life. It's time to give your life to Jesus by going to him and saying, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask you for your forgiveness. 
I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. So now I turn from those sins and I give you my heart and I give you my life and I want to trust you and follow you forever as my Lord and Savior. And doing that means you've given Jesus lordship over your entire life, everything you own, your future, your relationships, every single part of your life. So the issue that we face now is, are you willing to take the next step? Because listen up. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for every person who is here with us today. You have no idea what hangs in the balance if you begin to follow Jesus. But no matter which of these steps you think describes where you are today in your faith journey, whatever your next step is when it comes to following Jesus, please take that next step. Because the sooner you do that, the sooner God becomes a more tangible reality in your life. You see, you don't want to spend your life wondering what God might have done if you had said yes. You don't want to spend another season of your life wondering, where is God? When the issue was really your inability or your unwillingness to just say yes to doing something you've done a thousand times before, but were afraid to do it a little bit differently when God prompted you to do so. So if you're looking to follow Jesus, you're going to have to take a step, the next step in faith. And before we wrap up, I want you to know something. I am not suggesting to anybody that you do something that I wouldn't do and that I haven't done. In my walk with God, I have gone through every one of those steps that we talked about today. I started by listening. I took the next step and loaned Jesus my boat. In other words, I tried Jesus out by surrendering just a little bit of control to him. Then I took Jesus fishing, and eventually I pledged my life to him. I left my nets and surrendered everything I have to God. And it has been almost 29 years. And I haven't regretted a single moment of it. And not only that, my life has been blessed in ways that I not only would have never dreamt of asking, but in ways that are far, far better than anything I'd ever even known were possible. And Jesus offers the same thing to you. So why? Why would you ever hesitate, even just a little bit, to listen and respond to the still, small voice of God. Because he's your God. He's your good, good father. And he's calling you to live the best life available on this side of heaven. And he's calling you to live with him for eternity. You will never regret taking the next step for God. And if you don't take it, You'll never stop regretting. You'll never know what God might have done in and through your life. So, whatever your next step is, take it and see what God does. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the courage of Peter that day. God, we ask that you give each of us the wisdom to do likewise. God, we ask that you give us the knowledge of what we're supposed to do. And God, we ask that you give us the courage to do it. To take that next step when you call us and help us to draw closer to you. We thank you, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.